In my adult life, I have never, ever had anyone from my extended family come and visit me. Never. Like, I have children, of course, who've come to see me. But in terms of extended family, no one from my extended family has ever come to see me. And today, I have with me my cousin Ramel and her husband, Ted. Wave your hand. And I, I am very grateful for them to be here. Now, what, another thing that's interesting about this, the only people from my extended family that have ever come to church with me since 1978 is this lady sitting right here. Ramel's the only one who's ever been. She came to church with me in 1978. That was the, the year I know that is because my father passed away. She came for his funeral, and she came to church with me on a Sunday night. It was 1978, and uh, long before she met Ted, I'm assuming. <laughs> and, um, and so she comes today after all those years, and she's the first family member to ever come and visit me. And I'm just excited about that. So praise the Lord. I'm grateful for your presence today. I'm glad that you're here. I also wanted to mention uh, today that I hope you're praying about the situation in Oregon. You know, as, as somebody who came from Oregon, uh, the, the track uh, at that school in Roseburg, I have run on that track several times. Used to, uh, you know, I was a distance runner, and so I used to run on that track occasionally when we go down there for meets. And uh, I'm very familiar with that whole area. I've been to Roseburg many times and uh, been to the Church of Christ there many times. And... Uh, it's just a tragedy. Uh, you know, that's the second time in a few years here when Oregon has had to deal with uh, that kind of situation. Once at the Clackamas Town Center, which is not very far from uh, my in-law's house. I've been to Clackamas, Clackamas Town Center many times. And, uh, uh, you know, it's just a tragedy when those kind of things happen. So uh, our world, uh, you know, John said during the Lord's Supper, our world is a mess. We live in a broken world, and that is just so true. So let me lead us in prayer, and then we'll do what we're doing today. Lord, we pray today that you will bless those people in Oregon, uh, those family members who are, are brokenhearted today. Uh, I pray that you'd give them peace and comfort. I pray that the Church of Christ and other Christians in the Roseburg area can somehow bless uh, those families and minister to them. And Father, I'd also just pray that you would be with our broken world. We are a messed up lot, and we need your assistance and help so desperately. And we pray that you, through your spirit, would bring it. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen. So I've been gone. I was, wasn't here last Sunday. And I, I wanted to tell you what I experienced while I was away. You know, I, I, I went on a trip with my two sons. Every three years, my sons are allowed by the province of Alberta to come up. And, and we, we went hunting, okay? And if you're, uh, if you're not into hunting... That's okay. I'm not going to condemn you. So please don't condemn me if I go. <laughs> and so every three years, my sons get to come up and do that with me. We went elk hunting up near Peace River. And it was this very successful hunt, you know, by every standard. But the best part, and, and I wanted to say something this morning just to our young families especially, the families that have young children. The best part was for me to be with my two sons. You know, it doesn't matter that one is 32 and one is 29. It doesn't matter that they're both married and they've given us grandchildren or one is in the process of giving us one and the other one already has. What matters is that they are still my sons. And I can't begin to tell you the pleasure, the joy that I had in being with them for nine days uh, 
experiencing the outdoors and just being together. It was an amazing experience. The best we've ever had by far. And, and it wasn't just because we were successful in terms of the hunting part of it. It was just because we got to be together. It was just so great. Uh, in fact, one of the, the wonderful things that happened was at one point in the middle of our week together, I, there was something that had been on my mind and I'd been praying about this. And, and the prayer got answered while I was there. And I, I started to tell that to Ryan and Adam about how I'd been praying about this you know, and, and the two of them both said, we've been praying about it too. Like individually, separately. Like I, all three of us had been praying about it. And then I got home and I told Robin about it and she'd been praying about it as well. And it was just so neat to have God manifest himself in that way as our family, uh, you know, was, was connected at such a, a profound level. And I just want to say to the parents, connect, connect, connect with your kids. Build those relationships. Build those spiritual relationships. Nurture those relationships. Talk to them about the Lord. Build that connection, uh, you know, in whatever it takes in any way you can. And it, and it continues. Like, it doesn't go away. I still experience that all the time with my kids. And I, ha- I have it with my boys. I have it with Megan. It's just, it's just such a wonderful blessing. And so whatever you need to do to nurture that, nurture that. And God is going to bless you in the course of it. Be intentional. Be intentional about nurturing relationship that includes faith with your kids. And you're going to be blessed if you do, for sure. I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 3 in your Bibles, please. Maybe when somebody turns to a pew Bible and they get Exodus 3, they can shout out the page number. I didn't look that up this morning. Exodus chapter 3, and I am going to start with verse 1. Somebody have that in a pew Bible? 41, thanks. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, and all those other ites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And it's fascinating that God chooses him. If you know anything about the story of Moses, then you know that Moses is an Israelite who's born in a land, Egypt, where Israelite babies at that point in time weren't supposed to grow up. They were supposed to be killed. He ends up, by God's hand, 
being allowed not only to grow up, but to grow up in the household of Pharaoh. And so there is privilege given to Moses from the outset. And it's only through a series of events in his own life, like him taking the life of an Egyptian himself, he murders an Egyptian uh, in the course of protecting an Israelite, that Moses is then banished out of the country and sent off to the desert of Midian. So he finds himself out in this desert talking, in one sense, to a burning bush. It's also, of course, that he is talking to God in the midst of the story. Well, all of this happens because God is with Moses, is caring for him, ministering to him, and preparing him for something special. There was once a a ministry opportunity that I was quite excited about, but no one else seemed to share my excitement. It was a long time ago. Everybody here is always really excited. So I called a good friend whom I trusted, and I asked him, I said, why aren't you involved in this ministry? And his response was so profound that I've never forgotten his words. He said, listen carefully, he said, and I have never forgotten it again because it's so profound. Yesterday, we had hash browns for breakfast, and today I have to buy some feta cheese. That's why I'm not involved in the ministry. Because he had hash browns the day before for breakfast and because he now has to go and buy some feta cheese. And you think to yourself, that's absurd. But that was exactly his point. And I knew exactly and immediately what he meant because I knew him well. What he was saying to me was, Kelly, I have no legitimate reason whatsoever for not being involved in this ministry. And so one excuse is as good as another. I might as well tell you that I had hash browns yesterday for breakfast and today I have to go and buy some feta cheese. I could come up with some other absurd reason for why I'm not involved in the ministry, but they all count equally. And so I might as well just tell you this because it's really absurd. And my absurd answer works as well as anything else that I could come up with in terms of answering for why I'm not involved in that ministry. And I knew exactly what he was saying. Sometimes our responses to challenges from God to do his will are totally justified, and sometimes they're not. One of the things I love about God is that if we allow him in... He pierces our hearts. And his word is cutting to the division of soul and spirit. He lays us bare, and before him we become absolutely clean. One of the reasons that we sometimes say no to God is because we feel inadequate. It's not just that I don't have the time, I really don't think I have the skills. I don't think I could do what you're asking, God, and so I'm just going to say no. And again, sometimes this is legitimate and sometimes it's absolutely illegitimate. If I had everybody in here sing in the praise team very quickly, we would be sorry that we did. Because I hate to say it, but uh, some of you can't sing at all. Some of you are just terrible. And the Lord made you that way, and I love you to pieces, and he loves the sound of your voice, and so do I, but you're not the one who's supposed to lead us in song on Sunday morning. That's just the way it is. Some of us just need to be listening and singing at the 
top of our lungs, praises to God, but we're not the ones to carry the tune. I don't want the person who can't see clearly past about three feet to be the bus driver for the school bus. And so some of us do need to acknowledge our limitations and say, this isn't my thing. But a lot of times, that's not what's going on. The reason that we say, I'm not going to be involved, is not because I'm really not qualified to drive the school bus, but because we simply choose to say no. And sometimes we come up with really ridiculous excuses, like, I had hash browns for breakfast and I'm going to go buy some feta cheese. That's about as legitimate as the excuses sometimes sound. Now we could say, Philippians 4.13 says, that I can do all things through God who strengthens me, through Christ who strengthens me. We could say that. But there's some reality here that has to be dealt with. And so I'm not able to do some things. I need to acknowledge that even as I also recognize that there's a time and a place for me to do exactly what God wants me to do. And so today we look at the story of somebody, Moses, who is given an opportunity by God to do some wonderful things for him. And it is so interesting the way that Moses responds. Now, I just read to you the story about God coming to him in the burning bush and asking him to do something. Go down into Egypt and free my people. I want you to look at his response in verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And what we see here is the first of a series of of justifications on Moses' part as to why it is that he is not qualified to do what God wants him to do. And sometimes we do this. I am not qualified, God. I am not smart enough, God. I'm not trained, God. I'm left-handed, and I need to have my right hand to do this, God. There are a lot of reasons why we come up with things or ways in which we come up with things that say i'm not going to do this well i think there's some irony here moses is talking to a bush a bush that is being burned up by fire except not burned up The bush is then talking to him out of the fire and Moses thinks that somehow the one who makes a bush not burn and talks from the fire isn't capable of getting him through some hurdles that he needs to get through in order to do what God wants him to do. I think he could do it with God's help. But we tend to be pretty short-sighted when it comes to thinking about ourselves and our abilities and what God could well do in us. Now I've got a video. You've seen Nick before, but Nick's story is so compelling that we're going to play an aspect of it again. And so if you could turn some lights down, Lisa, and Trev, if you could play this video about Nick, you're going to be blessed by this. I wasn't ready.
arms and our legs, but I'm very thankful that I have my little chicken drumstick here. People freak out when they see me for the first time. It's so cool. I was at a water slide um, all by myself. Everyone obviously at the bottom of the slide is looking up and waiting for other people to come down. And here I come and they're freaking out. They're like, you know, like this. And I was so tempted to look at myself and go, what happened? You know. And there were times where I sort of looked at my life and thinking, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. And you keep on concentrating on the things that you wish you had or the things that you wish you didn't have. And you sort of forget what you do have. And there's no point, I believe, in my life where I wish I had arms, legs, I wish I had arms, legs, I wish I had arms, legs, because wishing won't help. But what I've seen in life are just a couple key principles. And the first thing that I've seen is to be thankful. It's hard to be thankful, man. I tell you, when I was eight years old, I, I sort of summed up my life and thought, I'm never going to get married. I'm, you know, I'm not going to have a job. I'm not going to have a life of purpose. What kind of a husband am, am I going to be if I can't even hold my wife's hand? It's a lie to think that you're not good enough. It's a lie to think that you're not worth anything. I can't feel my hands. <laughs> I love life. You know, so many people come and say, how come you smile so much? And I'm like, well, it's, it's, it's a long story. <laughs> but it's very simple at the same time. You see, it's very hard to smile sometimes in life. There are things that happen that you don't know and you don't understand and you don't know if you're going to get through it. You know, you go through your storms in life and you don't know how long this storm is going to be. And today I want to share with you some principles that I've learned in my life that you can use in yours. Being patient is beautiful. I tell you, it's the hardest thing. But I realize I may not have hands to hold my wife's hand. But when the time comes, I'll be able to hold her heart. I don't need hands to hold her heart. You know, it is scary to know how many girls have eating disorders. It is scary to know how many people are just angry at life because of their situation at home and angry at others. It's scary to know how many people actually feel like they're worth nothing. Every single girl right here, right now, I want you to know that you are beautiful. You are gorgeous just the way you are. And you boys, you're the man. <laughs> On this DVD, I share my experiences in life of how I've overcome challenges and seen a new, fresh perspective in life. To be thankful, to dream big, and to never give up. I speak to children, youth, and adults about key issues and principles that I've applied in my life that has given me the strength to conquer all that comes before me. Pretty good stuff in terms of his perspective on life. One of the things that doesn't come out in this video, uh, it comes out all over the place, but not in this particular video, is that the reason that he has such hope, the reason that he has the attitude he has, is not because of something deep inside of him that is of self-origin. 
what's happening in Nick's life is of God. And he recognizes that and he came to Jesus Christ years ago and it's Jesus who has done something in his life that allows him to have this perspective. And it, the fact is, is that God does do incredible things in our lives and we need to see ourselves through his eyes and not through our own and allow God's perspective about who we are to change us and make us feel as though we're capable of doing the things that God wants us to do for him. Well, I have no doubt but that at some point, Nick must have thought, can I be a public speaker and a motivational speaker with my limitations? And can I influence people in a positive way? And God screamed back at him, of course you can with my help. And so he does these things. And many people are blessed because of it. What is it that we don't do because we're afraid that somehow we don't have the ability we don't have the skills. We are the, the mere people that we are. And all the while, God is saying to us, no, I want to do wonderful things through you and bless others because of you. And which ultimately, of course, comes from him. And so verse 12 says, and God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Well, you'd think that after all that, it'd be accomplished. Moses would be ready. Okay, let's go in and do this, God. But it doesn't work exactly that way. In fact, there are at least four other excuses that Moses comes up with to say, Lord, this isn't going to work. And so verse 13 says, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And the excuse here is, I don't know you. I don't know what to tell them about you. God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're saying to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I've promised to bring you out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites and all of those ites. I'm going to bless you in this way with a land flowing with milk and honey. Then the elders of Israel are going to listen to you. I will stretch out my hand, it says in verse 20, and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty handed. And he talks about how they're going to take things with them. And again, God completely takes away the excuse that Moses gives him i don't know who you are god i can't say anything about you and they ask me what am i to say and so he gives him an answer and takes away the excuse well again you'd think that would solve it but it doesn't look at chapter 4 verse 1 moses answered what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the lord did not appear to you then the lord said to him what is that in your hand a staff he replied the Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. He performs a miracle. Then he tells him to take his hand and stick it inside his coat. 
And to bring it out, it'll be leprous, white as snow. Put it back in and bring it back out and now it's fine. So there are signs that God gives him and says, don't worry about it. If they say, we don't believe you. Because you're going to have signs that will compel them and show them that indeed I am the God that I say that I am. And you'd think again, that would solve the problem, but it doesn't. So look at verse 10 in chapter 4. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. He sounds like the Apostle Paul here. Paul kept saying, I don't speak well. Everybody says I don't speak well. But this isn't a problem because God works through those who don't necessarily speak well. Verse 11, the Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth, who makes him deaf or mute, who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. And so again, the excuse, well, I don't know what to say and I'm eloquent. I'm not eloquent. I can't speak well. It's taken away from him as an excuse. God can take care of that one as well. Then verse 13, the fifth one. But Moses said, oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. And you know what this is? This is Moses saying, you come up with every answer. You keep telling me that I can do this. and I just can't do it. And so I'm not going. He acts just like a little kid. I can't come up with a reason anymore. My parents can reason better than me. And so I'll kick my feet and stomp my feet and I'll cry and throw a little tantrum. That'll solve it. And of course, it doesn't solve it. And so in verse 14, God is finally a little bit ticked off that Moses has responded the way that he has. And he says, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? What are you going to do now, Moses? I'm going to send your brother down and he'll do the speaking. And then the text actually gives us a sixth kind of complaint that's taken away from him. In verse 19, it says, Now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. And so every excuse that Moses could possibly come up with is taken away. And my point is, that if you read the story of Moses, you quickly discover that God is not just a deliverer and a guide for a nation. He is a deliverer and a guide for individuals too. And specifically in this case for Moses, but for you and for me as well. And all those times that we think we are inadequate... And all the excuses that we can come up with for why we're incapable of doing what God wants us to do. God is constantly saying to us, no, actually, I have an answer to that one. And you can come up with every excuse there is, but I'm going to continue to have reasons why indeed you should do my will and accomplish what it is that I want you to accomplish because I am the Lord and I want you to do these things. If our personal responses to God fall short, or if they're inadequate for legitimate reasons, fine. But sometimes our reasons for not doing His will are nothing more than failing to recognize God as the deliverer and guide, not just for Israel, but for each of us. 
The fact is, God wants to save you from your attitudes about yourself. That's what he wants to do. He wants to correct your perceptions of who you think you are. Moses could not out-excuse God. God had all the inevitabilities covered. What makes us think that we're going to now come up with some excuse and God's going to go, I have no answer for that one. I think you're absolutely right. You shouldn't do my will. I don't think so. God does not walk away shaking his head thinking, I have been beaten. I chose poorly when I chose him because somehow I missed the fact that he could never do what it is that I want him to do. He doesn't do that. He doesn't think about us being untalented. He doesn't think about our personality not meshing with his. He doesn't think about us not having some ability. Instead, he simply provides what it is that we need. And so you can't out-excuse him. You can't. There aren't that many excuses that are good that God can't answer. And so I would say this morning, stop trying. Stop trying to out-excuse God. And my suggestion is, start today with something small. And the very next time you hear of an opportunity to serve, instead of thinking about all the excuses that God could, in fact, quickly answer, just say yes. Just say yes. Save yourself some time. Because God's going to win this one anyway. And the opportunity is going to come today or it's going to come tomorrow. It's going to come in the next couple of days. I'll tell you when the opportunity won't come. It won't come just two weeks down the road from now. Because we have opportunities to serve him all the time. You're not going to have to wait. You're not going to think, well, I can put this off for a couple of months. Because I won't have to worry about whether or not an opportunity will come my way. The opportunity is going to come right away, folks. They always do. What will you do when the opportunity comes your way? I don't know what it will be, but I know it's going to come. How will you respond? If you simply come up with an excuse, I want you to recognize it for what it is. A garbage excuse. And start asking God for an answer as to how it is that he's going to overcome your garbage excuse for you. Because he will. If you say, Lord, get me through this. I want to do this. I don't really see the way right now, but I think you and I can do it. I promise you, God will find the way. So what are you going to do when the next opportunity comes up and God immediately starts taking away your excuses? Because that's what's going to happen. I'll leave that with you. But the chance is coming. How will you respond when God challenges you and says, I want you to do this for me? And you look at your excuse and say, ooh, I bet he's got an answer for that one. Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you and praise you that Moses did indeed eventually respond in a positive way to your will for his life. And God, we pray that you would use us in like ways. I'm not expecting that any of us is going to part the Red Sea. But you can do wonderful things through us when we respond with a yes to your will for our lives. And I pray, God, that you would make it clear to us, even in the next the next half a day, what we might do for you and the ways in which you'll take away our excuses and empower us to do your will. I pray these things through Jesus. Amen.